Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Since 2009, Chrissy Patra and Kyle Topping have been hosting a vibrant community artist residency and printmaking studio in their rural Ontario farmhouse. Sparkbox Studio has welcomed over 400 visiting artists from around the world who have come to find time and space away from their routines to focus on a variety of arts ranging from painting and poetry to music and film. Above all else, they view Sparkbox as a resource by artists for artists. It's a place to create, research, and grow, a place to learn, develop, and explore. However, artists, community members, and visitors engage with them. The goal is to provide artists with the tools and connections to successfully share their vision with the world. Both Chrissy and Kyle are graduates of the Queen's University Bachelor of Fine Arts Studio program. Both are practicing artists working in painting and printmaking. Through their positions at Sparkbox Studio as a former professor in the Art and Design Foundations program at Loyalist College, Putras and Topping have organized, developed, and run courses on a variety of studio arts and arts management topics. They are highly involved in their artistic community and have built a career that is rooted in creation, community, and public outreach. Please help me welcome Chrissy and Kyle to the podcast. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. We're so happy to be here. I'm happy to have this opportunity to chat. It's been a little while, so it'll be fun. It has been, yeah. And yeah. we get to you know reconnect with everybody in all these different ways. It's exciting to reconnect with you on this new venture that you're doing. We're like so happy for you and really excited to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you. When I first met you, I never thought that I would be calling you later to say, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> At that point, I was just thinking, I want to paint. <laughs> I love it. It's been fun. It's an adventure. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about Sparkbox and how it came to be. Sure. Yeah, it's evolved quite a lot over the past 12 years since its inception. So Kyle and I both went to Queens, as you've mentioned, and while we were studying there, we both became pretty enamored with printmaking. Our professor, Otis Tamaszewskis, forgive me if I said that you last got name it. wrong. I'm pretty wrong. sure Otis would be proud of how you pronounce that. <laughs> he had this like very, I don't know, you it's became like... infatuated with printmaking when you learned under him. And yeah, it was a very infectious energy. Yeah. The way that he taught was, was like hypnotizing almost. So we both fell in love with print. I graduated a year before Kyle and started working in the commercial art industry. So working at a commercial art gallery. And we decided that something that I was missing a lot being out of school was the community element of school. And this is not uh, like an original kind of like need or want after leaving school. We hear this all the time when you're like in an institution and you have all this support and you have all this energy of other artists working around you, you know, are very inspired and it's easier to create in that kind of headspace and environment. So we started kind of brainstorming about what we could maybe do when Kyle graduated, which was the year after in, in 2009. And Kyle had kind of like, I don't know, maybe flippantly said like, well, I want to start an art empire. And I was like, okay, let's do that then. And and I don't know, we just started kind of building out a plan and thinking about what that could look like. And, you know, it morphed into wanting to have a print shop. And then that morphed into like having people use the print shop because there really aren't that many in Ontario and we wanted to make sure people had access to it and then that turned into a residency and yeah it just kind of like spiraled from there into what it is now which is more online presently because uh, we don't have the space open to anybody at the moment so we've transitioned everything to YouTube and social media and that sort of thing. 
I like that it was a small goal, just an empire. So yeah, good. you know. Yeah, it was. No big thing. <laughs> With the empire. We'll work our way out from there. <laughs> Give us an idea of what it was like for the residencies for anybody that hasn't been to your place. And then obviously we can talk a little bit about how COVID affected that whole thing. Sure. The residency program is a small one that Chrissy and I run. When we left university, we bought a, well, we rented a place in town for a little while, but the goal is always to buy a house. And so predominantly for the past 10 years, the residency in its major like heyday, I guess, was we have a little farmhouse in rural Ontario, uh, just outside the town of Picton. And we have three extra bedrooms in our house that we would rent out to artists on a short-term basis between like a weekend and two months. And the experience is that they would come, they would have a little bedroom, they would kind of become our family for however long they were here. Usually the residents stayed maybe a week to two weeks. That was the average Average stay. So there was a lot of turnover every week. It might be different people. There might be somebody staying for two months, but a lot of turnover. And it became like a little tiny family. And like you wake up, you'd like generally have coffee with one another and then you would have a studio space where you could go make art and do whatever just that you wanted and what Chris and I tried to really foster was just a very relaxed sense of environment like there wasn't crazy expectations no one had to do any chores it was just a space and time for people to come and create and we had many many different disciplines ranging from like painting and illustrating to writing to filmmaking sculpture performance installation art. performance oh augmented reality yeah no, vr 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 yeah. printmaking we have a full print studio on site so we had a lot of printmakers we have like screen print relief letterpress kyle's working on Etching. some litho stuff right now oh, yeah. which will be a future spark box offer mm-hmm. yeah it really was just about like us listening to what the needs of the artists were and doing our best to foster and facilitate that, which meant that the residency had a lot of versatility to it. And the offerings were kind of always changing, depending on who was here and Mm -hmm. how the space needed to be used. Mm -hmm. So then how did COVID affect you? Or like, what was that like when just all of a sudden the world's like, we're stopping? It was like, just a hard, hard stop. Well, Let's see. We didn't really have anybody booked for that. Well, we had people booked for that year, but like we had just kind of started coming out of like our sleepy time winter seasons. Mm -hmm. Usually we would try to take December off from the residency. And then I think this year, well, that year, this year, time has gone on, Kyle. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Time continued. The like January, February, March, we had taken a bit of extra time to work on some other projects and just have more time for Chrissy and I in the house. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit. So we had had one person in that calendar year and then we stopped everything, refunded everybody and we haven't had a resident since. Yeah. And do you imagine when, I mean, I like to say, quote unquote, things get back to normal. (laughs) Um, I don't know what that looks like anymore, but do you (laughs) hope one day you can return to the residency model? We're really excited about exploring new things. We have done a residency for 10 years and that was like a really wonderful experience but I, I think that we're going to rethink of how we do the residency. Like the, the goal that Chrissy and I always wanted with it was for it to be like a very affordable and a very accessible space for artists. And mm-hmm. we have the residency fell under generally like a paid residency program where people paid to come and stay with us. And then we did seven different awards out of our own, like out of our own funds to every single year, but that's a different thing. But mm-hmm. I think what we want to do is, rethink of how we structure that residency obviously COVID has like a lot of health reasons like a lot of health um impacts yeah impacts like we have like a lot of vulnerable family members and I don't think that we're gonna like start up the residency full blast but I think in the future something I'm looking forward to is perhaps working with specific artists on research projects such as trying to find like a Canada Council or an Ontario Council for the Arts grant to pay artists to come to my studio to Mm -hmm. do research in X, Y, or Z, or to work on specialty projects. And I think that we want to change how we interact with the residency a little bit. Mm -hmm. We just did, well, we're not quite finished it right now, but we will be shortly. Speaking of awards. Yeah, in our awards program. So every year, like since the beginning, 
we facilitated a certain number of awards. So we would allocate some of our revenue to gift residency stays that would be coupled with some form of mentorship. For a while, it was just with us. And then for a period, we had a curator from the Agnes Etherington Arts Center in Kingston who would come to the studio and do uh, one-on-one studio visits with the emerging artists. And so we continued that award for the entirety of Sparkbox being open. And then I can't remember exactly when, but at some point we decided to make another award, which was for a one month residency. And it was coupled with a bursary that was named after a very dear friend of my family, who was an artist in the area, Don Dawson. And so it was called the Dawson Award. So those were two programs that we really loved. And the 2020 emerging artists, there were five of them, they were selected, and then they never got to attend because obviously we didn't have anybody here. So Mm -hmm. for one year, we kind of just put it on hold, didn't know what to do. And everybody was obviously very understanding. And then this year, we still didn't feel comfortable having people in the house because it is just a house and Mm -hmm. everything is shared and it, you know, physical distance, social distance, it's not really possible. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed too complicated for us to figure out. So we reached out to that group and invited them to participate virtually. And in October of 2021, we launched an exhibition of their work. And over the course of September and October, we did interviews with them about the work that they do and the work that was in the show. And we've been doing mentorships with them in November. And yeah, it's just been a really lovely experience. And I thought that working virtually was going to be, I don't know, challenging or not as inspiring, but I've been pleasantly surprised. You know, they have been an incredible group, which I definitely think aids in this kind of work. But, you know, we did a group studio visit with them in October and it was such a joy. Like, Talking to them afterwards, they each got something from that that they weren't like expecting and they were inspired. And so even something like that could be an interesting like shift and opens the residency up to perhaps people who don't have the opportunity to fly somewhere or take time off their job or leave their family. Or, you know, I think it just potentially could open us up to a whole group of people that we haven't been able to facilitate in the past. You've had a number of different projects. Maybe we could start by talking about what the flat files are and you could explain a little bit about that. So when the residency grinded to a complete stop, we... It was really heartbreaking. I think it's important for us to like be honest about that. It's a very strange thing because so much of our identity has always been wrapped up in the residency. And then to just full stop a, a program like that, a business that employs just the two of us, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And so when that happened, we decided that we should try to stay connected with the community in some way, shape or form. And I believe it began with a conversation with our friend and well, our dear friend, Josh Dannon, who's a printmaker out of New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. And we were just kind of chatting that like, as printmakers, we tend to collect artwork, exchange artwork, and we just end up with drawers full of things that never get the light of day because nobody can afford 2,000 frames. So <laughs> we decided, well, why don't we just kind of like share our work? We'll like do an Instagram live. It'll be really low stakes. And we will just like kind of hold up some artwork on each end of the camera and just talk about stuff that, you know, is really, I guess, like dear and share. So yeah. there we go. I think also it was we and maybe this is another like printmaker plight is we hear a lot of like the like struggle of framing the struggle of like I don't have enough wall space and also like art isn't affordable it's not approachable or you know I don't really know what art is and so it's been an interesting way of like talking about collecting and how to build an art collection what flat files is is every week Chrissy and I do an Instagram live noon Eastern standard time. And (laughs) we have a casual chit chat with an artist friend of ours. And they started off as like kind of mostly printmakers, but it is a wide ranging. We talk to painters, to writers, to writers, filmmakers. Yeah. 
So it's essentially just a little hour chat and it's a bit of a casual catch up and an introduction to a friend. And we then share a couple arts at the end. It almost feels like an informal studio visit when you watch them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I think we're into like episode 70 or something like that. And it's kind of evolved into that really informal studio visit, like you were saying. Very wonderful. And it's the reason why we started it was we started missing what was our residency program. A wonderful part about that experience is we would often sit around a kitchen table eating dinner or afterwards just chatting about who knows, just kind of anything. And the pandemic really just kind of cut that out for us. Mm-hmm. And flat files, it's not the exact same thing, but it's still pretty neat. Yeah, it fills the void for sure. It also like we go in completely blind, like we don't plan anything, like you're far more structured than we are. Mm-hmm. And it means that like sometimes the conversation like Instagram is a, a live is a weird place for most people. It's not like not everybody is on that all the time. So a lot of the conversations started with the other person being like, this is the first time I've been on Instagram live. So it's, you know, it's a little nerve wracking at first. And then we just yeah, it kind of just turns into like a few friends chatting and you're just the rest of the world can eavesdrop on that conversation. And then the fact that we get to share the work of artists that we really like love and are inspired by, it means sometimes you get to hear really beautiful stories about an artist's relationship with another artist or an artist's relationship with like finding something that brings yeah. them inspiration, it's- you know, searching around a vintage shop or a yard sale or combing the beach. You know, I think that part is also really beautiful. I know one of the things, um, full disclosure, I did get to come to your residency. Um, One of the things that I loved was the fact that we had a dinner together and everybody was talking about what excited them. There are even just like you said, the morning coffee, like today, I think I'm working on this or I'm playing with this idea. Yeah. And your flat files do have that feel to it. So from the outside perspective, definitely you do get that feel of it's a conversation that artists are missing in the world right now. That's awesome. I think also like depending on the person that we're chatting with, because everybody is at different stages in their careers. So, you know, we had a chat in October with filmmaker Ryan Noth, and he talked a lot about like kind of the like real hands-on, like practical parts of making a feature length film. Like what does a producer do? How do you find funding? How much does it cost? What kind of permits do you need to buy? Like all this stuff that we don't know anything about. Whereas Mm -hmm. sometimes we talk to like more emerging artists who you know, are asking us a lot of questions, like, how do I know if my work is any good? How do I get eyes on it? And we have other people who are way more interested in the show and tell part, and they just want to talk about other artists work, and they don't feel very confident talking about their art. So it's quite an interesting mix of conversation, too, because you can get some like very practical skill-based learning, but then you also get like just playful chats about being in a studio, which I think is fun. I find that interesting that you just let it evolve. Like, I don't know. I guess maybe it's the educator in me. I need to kind of have a a framework to know where I'm going to (laughs) go. You also did the Love Letters series. Can you share Mm -hmm. about that? Because that ties in nicely with the flat files in your residency. For sure. So I had been writing blogs for the website for Sparkbox. And I'm not a writer and I really don't like writing. Like I very much do not enjoy it. And so they were taking forever. And if you like go to our website under blogs, you'll see how long they take because there's giant gaps. And I don't think I ever made it past a certain time period in the history of us running the studio. Uh, And so Kyle and I had been like brainstorming for quite a few years on like, how can we keep talking about who's been here without it being a blog? Because clearly this isn't working. And I had been always recording these kind of like outro interviews with every artist. So I would write questions down based on like things I had noticed while they were working here or stuff they had written in their applications or whatever. And we'd have a little chat at the end of their stay. And so we had like just so many interviews with people that were just sitting on hard drives doing nothing. 
And I think I was watching like a Wes Anderson film or something. And there was like, you know, all these handwritten notes. It's so like, you know, classic in his filmmaking. And I was like, oh my gosh, Kyle, what if we wrote love letters to the artists? And so we started brainstorming on that. And then it sat on a shelf for a really long time. And when we didn't have anybody here and we had time, we thought, well, this could be a fun way to like talk about what we had been doing for so long in a way that we were excited to do, but didn't have, you know, the capacity. Mm -hmm. And so we started kind of just making these short, very poetic films that were honoring the residents and the experiences that we had with people here and the work that they were making in a YouTube format. You've also gone on to use YouTube in other ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did a series of love letters and I want to say somewhere in and amongst that we decided to actually like we have the confidence to continue trying to like make films and things like that. I think the love letters were a lot of a learning experience for us, but ideas began to percolate of like, how could we, while we're stuck in a pandemic, how can we try to transition our business into some sort of income? And we decided to try to make more content yeah, we became content creators. <laughs> so we, we've, we've like been sitting on a lot of really wonderful show ideas and we worked with some consultants to kind of hack through like a lot of like where we should spend our focus. And one of the spaces that they suggested and that we agreed was kind of like arts education. And so we decided to create a series called Art Discourse which is a short 15-minute show that we release every week. Try to. Christy and I sometimes aren't the best. Like... Consistency is hard, Lisa. <laughs> I completely understand. We decided to kind of make this art discourse show. And so mm-hmm. like, what had been happening over the course of the residency was we were doing this Emerging Artist Award, and on every application that came in, we had one of the forms said, what are your top three questions about being an artist? And so over 10 years, we've now acquired, I don't know, like it's a silly amount of questions. And some of them are terrible and some of them are really great and some are crazy specific. And we printed them all off. We assembled them into like a gumball machine and we have been kind of just- It's a claw drawing. machine. It's a claw machine now. Mm-hmm, that we borrowed from my niece. But we've been cycling through these questions and they're just like, uh, we're trying to answer them as honestly as possible. And so some of the questions range between like, how do I market my artwork? How do I know if my artwork is garbage? How do I build an audience? And we're just trying to like, with what resources we have, just help other people and try to like tackle some of those questions. Do you ever get to a question? You're like, I just don't know where to start or where to answer this or how to figure this out or what they were even trying to ask me. So we kind of started answering them a few, I don't know how many years ago on a section of our website that was called like the art of business. And there was one question that was like, I think it said like, why do artists wear black all the time? Or uh, why do artists always wear black to openings (laughs) or something like that? And I, I had no idea how to answer this question. My response was, laziness I don't know that's why I do it I'm like this is simple and I'm probably very tired (laughs) I laugh because I'm in all black right now (laughs) Kyle and I Kyle's a black shirt on and I have black pants on so we're like half Half and half half. so I reached out to friends of mine that are illustrators and I said do you think you could illustrate answers to this question and they did and they're like really cute and funny and we posted those instead of me writing a response to it so we we batch edited or we batch recorded a grouping of our discourse in the like diluted concept that if we did this we would edit them immediately and then just have everything ready to put up on the internet which ultimately didn't happen I would say that like that from like a productivity place is definitely a smart way to go because like you know we set up the lights once we set up the camera once we made sure we looked nice for like that day and the filming like complexity of it was like reduced down to like a single point which was lovely but Mm -hmm. it did mean that 
answering questions, especially because like in a lot of ways, the questions are somewhat similar. We found ourselves getting kind of like, we're like, oh, are we repeating ourselves? And I would say that's the the biggest challenge we've sort of noticed and that we want to go back and kind of fine think about how two. to, yeah, fine tune that be really specific, be more tactical in our responses and more like, what am I trying to think of? Like really like actionable, I guess we want to like try to make it more actionable for the viewer in the next chunk that we make. So you're both artists but this type of creation, this YouTube digital world, is it fall in line with how you create or do you find it more challenging? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it probably doesn't fall in line with how I, hmm. It's a strange one. <laughs> like back in university, I don't think that I would, like if you'd asked me like, how do you feel like your art career is going to span out? And what do you think you're going to be making? I don't think that I would have answered. I would be making community-based projects. I don't think I would answer about running a residency program or doing like YouTube series. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that like, in terms of the creativity, I've just kind of like been flexible to what's coming at me in my practice. So like, I just kind of accepted that community arts is all of a sudden now part of my practice. That's cool. And I guess like now I'm I'm like making like short educational YouTube videos. That's kind of cool. I mean, the structure of how we do them, I guess, is kind of similar to how we make because like both Kyle and I really love like doing research and like setting sort of a plan in motion and then like executing based on those two components. We like planners and binders. Yeah. And so I would say that like my painting practice, like that, like part of the way that I like making isn't as like well integrated, like they sort of work together, but they also kind of work against each other. Cause I'm a bit more of a like sporadic spazzy person in the painting studio. Whereas like with videos, I have to be a lot more like diligent and like mindful and like thinking of time management and when things are going to cycle through and blah, blah, blah. But So I feel like it kind of actually fills a gap for me. Like it allows me to have that structure that I do like while also maintaining some of the spontaneity and happenstance that I also really like in my creative practice. And you both are involved, as you said, in community arts, and you recently completed a project called the Firelight Lantern Festival. So how do you schedule all of these things? And tell us a little bit about the festival and how it came about. Uh, last month, we are artists that participated in the Department of Illumination's Firelight Lantern Festival, which has been happening for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably been involved with about half of the iterations of the festival. And to give you an idea, the festival is one day. It's really just an evening. But usually in a non-COVID pandemic world, somewhere about a thousand people would gather downtown at one of the little tiny parks and we would shut down the main street and they would leave the park in a gigantic parade of lanterns and paper lanterns with little LED candles and costumes and kind of performers and people on stilts. And they, we'd parade down the road to what we call the Crystal Palace, which is like an event space. It's very quite pretty. And there would be live music. There would be installation arts, performers, and usually like chip truck kind of deal and so it's like a one night festival it's literally only three hours it was from six till nine that was the scheduled time and so planning for an event where you have to put in this massive installation in a morning and an afternoon usually and it exists for three hours and then you tear it down it's a lot (laughs) it's a lot and so the way that Chrissy and I kind of begin that whole process is we brainstorm crazy ideas and then we exonate the ones that are impossible and we kind of come up with like a bit of a mood board. And from there, we tell our organizer, like, this is what we want to do. And then she has a lot of faith in us. Yeah. Krista Delby is the kind of mastermind behind the Department of Illumination. And she's like a dream organizer to work with. She's an artist herself. So I think that she really gets what is needed to support artists in like making really magical things. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of lends us a lot of space 
to just follow our instincts. And so we told her this year, so every year has a theme, which is useful, you know, when you're kind of working with a project like this. I forget when we were invited to be a part of it, maybe September? Fire. No, you're sorry. Sorry, this year. <laughs> like, I feel like we got asked, I was still working on the mural. So it was sometime around, I want to say mid or early September, that Chris asked us to be a participant. And the event was on November 7th. Eight, six. It was early November. And so for artists making installation art, that's like a pretty short window of time. And the theme was vacation land. And so, yeah, basically we're like, okay, vacations, what do we think of? And we make like a mind map of like, here are all the words. We kind of landed on roadside attraction. And Kyle had made this awesome relief print called the monolith. I don't even know when you made that a while ago, 2017. Yeah. And And we were like, okay, let's just make a real version of that. Like, why not? That's like a roadside attraction. People go to monoliths all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So we pitched this idea that we want to transform my print into a real life sculpture for the evening. And so our idea was that we'd make some sort of structure that would support blankets or sheets that we could throw projectors onto that we could make animations the monolith is this like kind of like well it's a monolith shape it's a rectangle with like all just plant matter from like corner to corner and filling it up and there's a group of fat cat bureaucrats standing around kind of just observing it and so we decided we would work on animations for this monolith and these projections and Chrissy had been learning a lot about after effects Um, and augmented reality (laughs) just new skills yeah new skills (laughs) yeah so we had this idea we'd make this big structure project stuff at it and animate it and once that idea kind of sets in we go about trying to think about like how to do it technically so like it's one thing to build something like an installation for a gallery or show where you have time and then you have time to set up like we literally from like the schedule i think was like 11 a.m to 5 p.m you had to like arrive set the whole thing up, do all the lighting, get into costume and be ready. So like we worked through a bunch of ideas and we landed on, well, we will build scaffolding and then we will like make these sheets. We like to recycle these sheets. We've used many, many years for this festival and we keep reusing them because they're amazing to project onto. We, we sewed together, like, I don't know, like 20 bed sheets all in one gigantic line one year. And we've just been slowly cutting them smaller and smaller for projects. <laughs> <laughs> but we like kind of have to like really think about how it goes together logistically, like arriving, setting up the scaffolding, the sheets are going to unfurl. Okay, how do you tie all the sheets and how do you assemble it really fast? And so that looks really good. And it's a bit of a planning, it's a planning puzzle. And I really like that. So it sounds like there's this creative energy between the two of you. Does there ever a point where you're like, your idea is just out of line? What are you thinking? How are we going to do this? Do any of you have that back and forth? I mean, most of my ideas are the ones that are out of line. What am I thinking? How are we going to do this? Because that's, I think, how my brain works. But the good thing is that if there's something that's really like totally, I'm out to lunch, but I think it'll work. If I really like sit down and like try to construct it in a way that makes some sense Kyle is so good at just like figuring it out so even when I do come up with like just a totally wacky idea but I'm convicted about it because I can be quite convicted about things Kyle can usually like strategize like for example the projectors for this piece so it's a vertical 15 foot high vertical seven foot wide yeah structure And we only found two projectors because like there's a supply chain issue right now. You know, welcome to 2021. Yeah, budget, (laughs) lots of different things. So we had two projectors and so we needed them to be orientated vertically and not horizontally like a normal projector would be. And they also had to be held at a very specific angle in order to like hit the entirety of the vertical space, but also the corner of the scaffolding so that it projected on both planes of the structure. Yeah. The projectors were pointed at like the corners from opposite sides. 
And so we're like, you know, we don't have a lot of budget. We were running short on time because it was, you know, there's always time constraints. We had a lot of other projects running at the same time as this. And so Kyle, basically like it, we we did make a flat files on this so you can watch him like actually running through the entire planning of it. But he took garden planters that we had on the property. He screwed two holes out of the bottom of them and put in bolts with washers and nuts and then like cut a piece of wood so that the wood rested on an angle on the nut of the bolt. So like there's a nut and then it's resting. Am I doing a good job explaining it? It's kind of hard. I'm like doing a lot of visuals that you can't see through a podcast. We made a little tiny adjustable ramp, basically little ramp for the projector so that we could very fine tunely like raise the projectors like angle from like zero degrees up to like 15 degrees and it would be like stable not like not like what i normally do which is like shove a book underneath it or something like that yeah we like made a serious platform and like we like used all around to wrap the projector we didn't do anything i sat inside i was hanging out with our puppy i was doing stuff on the internet kyle built this completely by himself (laughs) so i made these things of these planters and like something that we have to plan for is like it is an event for children and so that's well, not four children, but there are a lot of children there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's predominantly like it's family, family, family. friendly. There we go. Event. <laughs> but everything has to kind of be built like a bit rigidly because inevitably when like the festival started, like within five minutes, there was like kids running up to this, like it's a, it's a weird monolith in the middle of the field and they just want to touch it or mm-hmm. they are running around projectors and cords. And so you have to build things pretty rigid. Yeah. <laughs> but he just made it happen. He just like found a bunch of stuff that we had hanging around the property yeah. and constructed the the perfectly suited tilty projector holding device. I love the creativity, the planning, the problem solving that goes into that. That's so much part of that artist's brain. Like, how do I do this? I have an idea. It's a bit of an intense process. Like in reality, like we use Active Collab, which is a project management software where we record everything that we do. We list out every single task we think this project is going to take and we record everything. So like if we had a meeting, we added an hour time into the meeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we try to like really work within that budget and whatever that budget is, we try to make the project fit within that. It This never works to this year. I think it worked really well, but mm-hmm. usually what ends up happening is we work more hours than we thought we were going to. Or we buy more supplies than we intend to. Yeah. That you actually track everything that blows my mind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we started doing it quite a few years ago, not necessarily with Active Collab, and then we introduced Active Collab, which has been really helpful for us. And it was predominantly because the way that we've been working as artists for the last, like, I don't know, probably six years is just doing really unusual projects. Like, you know, I feel like when we make a print or we make a painting, we have a pretty like a good understanding of like what materials are involved, how long-ish is this going to take, what's it going to result in, and then what's the potential marketplace for that. But when it comes to like a community arts project or a corporate event or, you know, some of the kind of more outside of the box projects that we've been a part of, it can be very hard to like budget and plan for those things. You know, somebody invites you to do an outdoor art festival. And if you haven't done that before and you say, yes, you don't have a super clear understanding of like what the costs are for that. And so by being more meticulous about like tracking that sort of thing, we now generally, I mean, there's obviously some wiggle room. We've never made a 15 foot scaffolding, like augmented projection art piece before, but based on the things we've done in the past, we did have like a relatively good idea of like, how long do we think this is going to take? What are we going to need to execute it? Will we need extra hands for this or that? And it's because we are very diligent with recording our time and materials. So I have two questions coming out of this. I was thinking as you're talking about all this, what would you go back and tell both like yourselves as young artists at 2009 going into this, not knowing how the world would evolve. What advice would you give yourselves now? Uh, hmm. Aside from joke advice, yeah. <laughs> like invest in Bitcoin or something like that. I think that like doing the art discourse and 
looking at like kind of a lot of the questions and really thinking about how we interact with the world as artists Mm -hmm. is be flexible. I feel like for most of, for most of the past 10 years, we've always like kind of struggled between like the balance between the business running a residency, doing special projects that are associated with the business, running workshops, and then being artists and then being real people who have friends and family. And I think that for a long time, we tried to like, I'll often try to fit it like, well, if we just worked nine to five, the reality has always been that like artists do weird stuff and like you, you get weird projects. They're never the same project. They're always different. And you just have to embrace that. You have to be a bit flexible because otherwise you're just going to get depressed. Yeah. I think I would tell myself to like trust your instincts because i had been wanting to start a YouTube channel when literally the year after we started. So in 2010, and like, uh, they're hidden, you can't see them. But I did post some things to YouTube at that time. And I, you know, a combination of like, probably just being too shy, not being confident with like a camera, feeling like we couldn't justify investing the in the equipment, like things like that, you know, we sustain ourselves, but we're not like rolling in cash. So like, making financial decisions to like buy a really good computer or buy a good DSLR. Like those are real financial choices that we make. And early on, it just didn't seem like that was like a responsible financial choice because I didn't really know what YouTube was going to become, but I just, I really felt a calling to do it. And then we got so kind of hectic, busy with a lot of different things. It always was like, ah, but you know, next year, or we'll think about that later. And I wish that I would have just like, really trusted that like voice that was like screaming out, like do this because we actually really love it. And it's like really like become something that we look forward to like producing and making. And I, yeah, I just think it's really fun. And I wish that I would have started earlier. What advice would you give to the young artists who are now in your position that you were when you came out of school? I guess it depends on what they were doing. My position coming out of school was we graduated with our BFAs. We had no formal business training and we had decided to apply for a very massive grant through the city. And I think that like get in your head in the game and like understand how to operate a business. I remember going into our first like pitch meetings with like the economic development office and some other individuals and like we brought sketchbooks like we didn't bring like a PowerPoint we brought like literally our sketchbooks and like we had to flip between like we all have like the chicken scratch pages with like bad drawings and like you'd have to flip through those to get the next section of notes. (laughs) That's great. I was going to ask you about the business side of things. <laughs> We've improved since then, but like there was so much learning that we had to do. Like we had to like learn how to write a business plan. We had to figure out how to like balance our books, how to like do cash flow projections, how to make money doing something, some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I I have always been like in love with like learning and being curious and like very inquisitive about like people and what's going on. And I think that's like been super beneficial. And so, you know, I I think I would probably advise other young artists to invest in that part of yourself, like show up to things, be curious about stuff that isn't even art related. I think that that has helped us a lot over the years is we haven't really isolated ourselves into this super niche world of like, this is the only thing that matters. We pull and pillage ways of working. We kind of co-opt a lot of different processes and ways of analyzing a situation from like a vast majority of people and um, businesses and Not ways of working. Not always just from an arts focus. Yeah. And I think that that's like been really useful in like keeping the business open Mm-hmm. And then also in like the way that we make work and like engage with like organizations and like be really like courteous and thoughtful to organizations. I feel like as people that run a business, we like have been very lucky. People are like super kind and lovely with us and our residents have been mindful and supportive. But we have heard a lot of horror stories of like, especially print shops. It's, I mean, it's hard to feel like we have a very slanted view of arts organizations because we mostly talk to people that run printmaking studios but you know like 
be kind to people's equipment, be kind to people's time. You know, if someone's generously being there for you to like help you through something, or you're at a workshop with someone, or you're with an instructor, like, you know, even if they're getting paid, it's still a lot of work goes into that, like one hour of instruction that you're getting with somebody that you're paying for. Mm -hmm. And I just think like, being kind, being thoughtful, being curious, all of that is going to be such an advantage to an artist going forward. I think that applies to all of life, really. Yeah, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Do you plan ahead when you're looking at a year? (laughs) Do you look ahead like by a year and say, okay, we're going to work towards these goals? Or do you just sort of see what comes and sort of go through whatever door opens? Or both? (laughs) We've done both throughout our history. I think when we first started, because we were forced to write a very formal business plan, we had one, three, and five, and like a very loose 10-year goal. I feel like what ended up (laughs) happening was we completed years one, three, maybe... No, I don't even know if we stayed on trajectory for our year five goals, but we kind of got swept up in just like the onslaught that is like being an artist and just trying to like always be chasing paychecks Mm -hmm. and never feeling secure enough. And so always saying yes to things and inevitably ending up saying yes to too many things and feeling overwhelmed. And I feel like the latter half of the past 10 years have been feeling like that. Mm -hmm. And then with a pandemic, well, what planning could happen? The business kind of just stopped and everything went up or at least that part. I think that like what we have started to do is really try to future plan a little bit more and try to like really set up our ducks in a row with like trying to get I guess our foot into online creation Mm -hmm. and content building and so like we are planning a little bit further down the road but there's always this problem that like we're, we're always doing new things. Like Chrissy and I don't have formal training for like how to like edit a YouTube series or essentially shoot reality television. And so like, we're teaching ourselves these things. And as much as like, we want to be like, yeah, you know, next year we want to have like three regular releasing television programs. Like who knows what's going to happen between now and then. So I don't think we've planned for like really hard dates or hard projects to be done by certain periods or like you know, in five years, I want to buy a car or five years, buy another house. We don't do that kind of planning. Probably should. I think our accountant would want us to do that. (laughs) I feel like for me, I plan more like maybe like, uh, I don't know what the, my like brain is saying like airy, like I'm a bit more of an airy, like head planner. So instead of it just being like, clear like objective goals with like data driven ways of analyzing success or failure I feel like I'm more of I would love if we got you know at least one of this series started Mm -hmm. by the end of the year or I hope that I spend like at least you know this percentage of time in the studio working. And usually I have like, okay, I know that I've been talking to these three people about murals. So I'm probably going to have one mural in the spring and one mural in the fall. So those are like two projects that are going to likely occupy a month to two months of time in those two seasons. Maybe there's like two ways, like I'd say like we kind of plan, like the projects and jobs that we know are going to take X number of hours, we kind of plan about a year out. Mm-hmm. But then like the weird abstract things like, you know, starting a YouTube channel, creating a new series. Mm-hmm. I don't think we plan in terms of a timeline, but like I can see it in my head right now. I know kind of like that this project's going to finish. We're going to go into this next major project and then this one. And then we have to do this next because it builds off into does this or does that. Mm-hmm. And so like, I can see those major steps, but they are not attached to any sort of timeline. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just whenever we get to them, I guess. Like kind of around Christmas time, I always do this unravel your year worksheet. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for the past four years, I think, or maybe five. And I think her name is Suzanne Conway or Susanna Conway. But mm-hmm. it's just called Unravel Your Year. And you're sort of just like looking through what happened in that year, like what worked, what didn't work. And it's not necessarily for business owners. It's just for people. It's like quite mindful. Like it has a bit of a like spiritual slant, but I'm not like a super spiritual person. So, and I don't find it like 
too much or anything like that and I love that as a way of like kind of reflecting on what we did do and then usually in that there's like a whole section where you think about the year to come and so I love working through that and like it's just a bit more abstract it's not like super finite like in the first quarter I'm gonna execute xyz yeah I don't think I could be that rigid I was (laughs) The first quarter of this year, there was nothing about a podcast. <laughs> That's totally it. Like stuff yeah. happens. Stuff like, happens. Yeah. It's the creative can... flow, I think, which is what you've both talked about. Exactly. So I always ask my guests to sort of wrap up with a book or resource that they would recommend to other artists or creatives. And a couple of my guests have come back and said, what about other artists? So if you want to take it in that slant too, you could. Kyle's pointing at me to start. Um, I feel like in terms of like books, I've been mostly just trying to, we have like a massive resource of just like helpful, I don't know, like productivity or artists books that I'm trying to like get through because we have them on shelves. And so right now I'm reading The Artist's Way, which is like, you know, kind of a classic. Everybody goes to it. I feel like it's not an original place to begin. But I will say that if I'm talking about things that I'm presently actively engaged in, it's that book. Mm-hmm. And so far it's been like, I'm, I've surrendered to it. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to commit to this thing. And it's been quite enjoyable. Not everything about it is easy, but a book that I never finished that I read many years ago and think about all the time is Twyla Thorpe's book. Uh, I think it's called The Creative Habit. And she's a choreographer, so very different discipline than myself. And she has a way of writing that's very captivating. The way she talks about engaging with the world is very beautiful. She discusses like looking at space with different lenses, you know, what happens when you are on stage with the dancers? What is the feeling? Does that feeling carry if you're far away from them at the back of the theater space? What if you're low down to the ground and, you know, going to cafes and watching the way people hold a coffee or shuffle their feet around? She just like has all these like little moments that she talks about through like her day that, I fell in love with and I think about it all the time. So that's probably like the book that comes to mind when I think of something that's captivated me. And then presently I'm working through the artist's way. I think you should go back to her book because I have read it and it is fantastic. But given that you're starting to get into community arts and these big projects, I think you both would really, it would take your work to a whole new level to go through her process. Okay, I will. I've also wanted to read The Art of Gathering. Have you read that one? I think it's Priya Parker. No, I haven't. I've heard good things about it. I've not read it myself. And Kyle, do you have one you want to recommend? Or maybe an artist that people should be looking at or who you find inspiring? In in terms of artists, I, I think like everyone should uh, go research Sean Caulfield. S-E-A-N Caulfield, C-A-U-F-I-E-L-D. Right? I think so. He's a he's a professor at West and probably my my favorite currently alive contemporary printmaker in ours. I think what, what he does is just absolutely fantastic. I'll definitely take a look at his work. I'm not familiar with it. Well, thank you both for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and it's been wonderful hearing about your process. Thanks so much for having us. This has been a very delightful little interview. Yes, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.